much so I've got a Jewish nose. So definitely audio. No, I just prefer audio. It's also easier to edit and people are more likely yeah, yeah, to... Yeah, no worries. What I am going to do, though, Johnny, I'm just going to turn my phone off. It's a long story, but I'm an NHS volunteer. Oh, I'm doing great. this um, call and check-in thing. I guess. Which is fine, but what happens is, is this siren goes off. Oh, God. I don't think, even with your editing, you're not going to want that. So, John Berry, I've got at the back of this book, Hugging Strangers, the frequent lows and occasional highs of football fandom, a table where you show that you have uh, managed one of the most... You have been a fan of one of the most schizophrenic football clubs over the last 60 years. I've got, I've got to say, Johnny, in all the years... I've talked about Birmingham City. Schizophrenic is the, is a new label on me, but yes, I'll definitely go for that. And you you started um, off your support as a very young child, and in the first division, you supported a first division team who survived the first season and were relegated in 1965. So you knew heartbreak very early on. Has that stayed with you 55 years oh, on? Absolutely. Now, look, I don't want to give anybody the impression that I'm indifferent about the fact that, and we may come to this later, that I'm currently staring down the barrel of relegation number 10. It always hurts every time it happens. But quite seriously, if you are a fan of someone like Birmingham City, or Birmingham City in particular, because apart from Notts County, we top the table as far as relegation is concerned. Mm. But... It is absolutely stitched into your being and into your psyche. We could go down. And what's more, and I do say this at the beginning of Hugging Strangers, when people come up to me or are having a drink with someone and they say, ah, you're safe enough now, (laughs) I look at them and say to them, you're clearly not been paying attention. I don't expect you to pay attention to my club, but you've not been paying attention. It's so sad. anywhere. I'm not going to mention the other club because this is a, a vile free zone. All I will say a is that free zone. <laughs> I am I am with Paul Tate. Where is Paul Tate's T-shirt? Where oh, does it live? Goodness only knows. But what imagines that if he put it up for auction somewhere, there'd be a bob or two to, to, to be got for a good cause. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, to be absolutely honest with you, in the midst of easily the most miserable season for well, certainly since the 80s, the fact that they have absolutely, and it pains me to say this, soared away from us mm-hmm. and exist in a different stratosphere, it's just another twist in the, of the knife in the wound. Really. Well, you know, you know why it is. It's because they've got the money from the Egyptian. They've got Wes Edens, who seems a very good, um, is it CEO? And then Christian Perslow yeah. is one of the best football directors. And you've got a manager who knows the club with a captain who knows the club. And it's so simple. How can you get oh, yeah. it wrong? Just good workplace, good relationship with the emotional stakeholders, managing upwards to get the money and the players you want, and to ride out the Heaton injury, the Wesley injury, and become, as I hope they do, a Premier League club in the next 20 years. Um, good on them. Birmingham City, meanwhile, something is going wrong. And that something is everything. Can you just summarise where Birmingham City are? And this will go out just before Birmingham lose to Watford at the end of March. Yeah, well, thanks for all of that. As I 
just say that had all of, everything that you said there had me squirming in my seat. Not least because you're true about you're absolutely accurate about Three the neighbours. But in terms of summary of where Birmingham City is at the moment, well, I simply do not know where to start. But perhaps if I were forced to do so, and I do tell this story in the book, um, the latest catalogue of our woes started in December 2016. And I tell the story, I'm privileged now, I'm semi-retired. My other uh, sporting passion is, is watching England play cricket abroad. It's something I always wanted to do when I retired, and I do so. And I, I got back from India. I turned on my mobile phone as soon as I landed because I wanted to find out how we got on against Ipswich. And we'd scraped a 1-0 win. It was under Rowett. And then, having seen that result come up in my text, my text just went into meltdown. And what it was, was that that was the takeover that sacked Rowett, that installed Zola, and that was the start of our miserable decline. 21 games, 13 points. Yeah, think about that. It's the same old thing. If their keeper had been man of the match every game, if we were demonstrably trying something out that wasn't working... But it was just, and, and we have this thing now, and it's a legacy, and it started with dear old Lee Clark, and it went through to Zola, and this current lad, Karanka, is doing the same. It's the bingo machine. Every game, you're never sure who's going to be selected and why, what kind of system you're playing, and that's why I wanted to go back to Rowett. He divides opinion for a range of reasons which we may or may not want to go into. One was Rowett, one was Monk. What they did, and going back, Johnny, to what you said before about keeping it simple, they came in, they looked at the players they've got, they've said, this is what is achievable with this set of players. I am not going to make them into Franz Beckenbauer or even Gianfranco Zola, so we'll play this way and we'll finish 10th. And that was fine. That's the Sully Uplands in comparison to where we are now. Stirring ownership that has no idea about the club's history or heritage or cares even less. And that's where we are, where we are. And I'm so sorry because, as I say all the time, but for the grace of Gino Pozzo, go Watford. Uh, And of course, they installed Gianfranco Zola and handily they had the pick of Udinese, brought in a team and almost went up. which would have been the worst thing to happen in the history of the club uh, if Watford had gone up in 2013. Fortunately... We were on much better footing in 1999. I'm so sorry, but I have to start there. Because were it not for Alec Chamberlain, and was it Michael Hughes who missed the penalty? Except, lad, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. This was was the second in a run of um, six seasons. Is that right? Five seasons that you'd finished in the top uh, Watford over two legs somehow. Uh, with a good run of form, managed to beat Birmingham and then beat Bolton in the final. Uh, Birmingham eventually went up two seasons later uh, and had Premier League football for five seasons under the great football writer and sometime manager Steve Bruce. Have you read his novels? (laughs) I've always got a soft spot for him, I've got to say. It comes out very, very well in this book, uh, which is called Hugging Strangers, came out last year on the great 
pitch. Uh, it's at twelve ninety nine, and thank you very much for sending me a copy inscribed as you did. Keep right on, and I am. Uh, going, yes, of course. I am going to keep right on. I can do a bit of a Birmingham accent because uh, I've listened to. Uh, John, you ever told you that? It, it, it has misled you grievously. Oh I'm no. Right <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, the... you always end up like Barry from Alfredozay and Pet, which is kind of hybrid affair, really. Oh, yeah, Birmingham ish. Um, Birmingham yeah, yeah. in the early 2000s, they were a Premier League team, um, but you list the kind of um, shithouses who played for the team. Uh, would it be fair to say that it was a Steve Bruce team, Birmingham City? Oh, you bet. But here's the thing, and, and I never romanticise about football. But Bruce said something about us very early on that for most of us, look, and I live a very middle-class lifestyle now, but he said, this is a working-class team for a working-class part of the city. And he understood that. And so, as you say, in amongst, and there were some terrific players in there, I mean, good, good footballers, but in amongst them, he sprinkled Savage and Cunningham and Jeff Horsfield and Paul Devlin, you know, but blokes who you want in a fight, really. Yep. And that they actually did encompass for a while everything we wanted from the side. And, of course, we regularly beat the neighbours. So yes. you couldn't really ask for more. It's a glorious part of Birmingham City's history. Now, uh, there was one particular moment in this book that um, made me think I was there, and you weren't there. Because you were watching the Duchess of Malfi on a school trip. Hilarious. And I was at White Hart Lane that night. And I remember, I remember it was the worst game I'd ever seen. Because it was a League Cup on a Monday or a Tuesday. Spurs were atrocious. It may have been 3-0 at half time. And I remember thinking, I don't want to support this team. Uh, And looking at it from a Birmingham fan, it's a great victory. The, the, The thing about the story I like, best of all... And even though I'm at the centre of it, and, and again, I'm sure that people will have had this, you know, when you've not been able to see your team. But I tell the story about how I came out of the theatre. I hadn't smuggled the radio in it. It was pre-mobile phone days and all the rest of it. And I came out into the tube and I saw a bloke with a Spurs scarf on. And I said, um, how do you get on, mate? I, I, I probably toned it down. How, how do you get on, mate? I said, how do you get on, mate? Oh, we lost 3-1. And I thought, no, 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 I can't have heard that properly. So, you know, at the moment, I sort of internal leap of joy. And then I carried on. And then, and then this is true now. I saw another bloke with a Spurs scarf on. I thought, I'd just better check. And I said, how's you getting on, mate? They said, oh, we lost 3-1. And I thought, blimey. And then on reflection, if you think about that story, you asked me about your psyche as a Birmingham City supporter early on. What does that tell you? A bloke tells you that your team's won and you don't believe him. You have to go and check yeah, with you need a second else. opinion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. A second opinion. That's right. And you, you are not alone in this and throughout this book, oh, which good. is, it's a great book. So thank you for writing it. It's a case study book. You, you use Birmingham as a case study and you've inflicted it upon your son, who is a, a couple of years older than me. How old is your son? He's 35, yeah. my Joe now. Yeah, yeah. And has he got kids of his own now? Oh, he has, and they're, 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 they're in the kit. Well they're done. absolutely in the kit. Yeah. Well, what, what if they uh, say... How long will it last? Well, 
That's well. That is unfortunately the problem. I was talking to Stephen Lawther, who is a fan of Wraith Rovers, your fellow pitch. Okay, builder. yeah. Uh, Part of the world I know well, funnily enough. Oh, really? You're... What were you doing up yeah. there? Well, my mother-in-law, this is a great football story. My mother-in-law used to live, she's uh, passed on, used to live in Arbroath. Oh, right. So it's a fantastic footballing part of the world for nerds. Mm -hmm. So all those clubs that you hear about on the football results, you think, I wonder where that is. I know where they all are. So, you know, uh, I've happily been to Race and Johnson, both Dundees, Forfa, Breakin. You name it, Montrose, you know, the big Montrose Arbroath Derby. Did you know that was a derby? There you go. I wouldn't have, it, I wouldn't have told you that instantly, but my, I had a friend whose mum was from Montrose, and it's a very, I think uh, Fraser Nelson, the spectator editor, is from Montrose. It's very, ah, very know, windswept. I have an idea. I might have known that. Yeah. Um, and yes, near Aberdeenshire, uh, Angus country. Um, That's right. But yes, yeah, talking to Stephen, he was saying that it's, they they realise how crucial it is for the club to get young people interested. So he's brought in a thousand kids, or did he say eight thousand? Can't have been eight thousand. I think the membership of young Wraith Rovers. Yeah, you'll be able to hear it. It's on just before yours, actually. Just the necessity of getting kids interested. And Watford have, as you may know, the family enclosure. Now it has the uh, the stand for the kids, the kids area, the family enclosure, yeah. uh, the family stand. It's just they're lucky because they've come up for the last 10 years. Watford have been in the position Birmingham were at the beginning of the 2000s. Up, 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 up. Uh, except that Birmingham had the solid British manager and Watford have um, sacked their manager every six months. Yeah, and which is why it is very interesting that tomorrow as this goes out, it's the match between Watford and Birmingham. Do you know, I can't even remember what the result was earlier in the season. Uh, you beat us 1-0, a late penalty from Deeney. Ooh, uh, did he celebrate? Who, 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 set, who has the old ball and globe tattooed on his leg? Yeah. Although his affiliation, it, 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 again, is a matter of controversy. He, no, he says... But it's always nice to hear a boy from Chelsea Wood doing well, so good on him, Troy. He says that he would only play for Birmingham, and I wonder if Birmingham could afford his wage packet... And it was closer uh, to the talk sports studio that he'd go because he's got he's in danger of being elbowed out of the team. I think if he'll want to start that game, obviously. Um, but you mentioned Deeney twice. You call him awkward at one stage, but he is yeah. like kind of the most famous Brummie in Britain. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe Jeff Lynn would have a word with you about okay, that. Okay, fine. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I know you like music, but. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote fully enough, I wrote about Troy in particular in Project Restart because very early on, he was one of those footballers, he was a black footballer who said, wait, wait a minute, not all of us live, you know, and all our families live in, in glorious isolation. Plus, this is, this is demonstrably affecting black people more than white. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for, for, for all that there are some vagaries around Troy's... Uh, uh, deportment. I, I've got to love him for that. So really, yes, and and it's it's definitely Troy FC for all that the Potsos want to say that it's their club. It's really Troy's club, as we no, know. No, that's and, fine. I'm, I'm happy with that. I wanted to go back to something you said about Watford and their work with the community, because I think it is admirable. You know, I'm I'm, I'm sort of fairly local to you, as you know, and I think they've done very well. And again, um, I think that it's one of the things that Birmingham City has done execrably. 
I mean, this has been... One of the things that concerns me, and you talk about the future and you gave me that race story, is I don't see the club building those ties with the community uh, and building those ties with the city um, that it needs to do. I don't think it understands that maybe parents won't be taking their children there. And, you know, again, same old thing. You walk around Small Heath and Bordesley and the area surrounding the club, huge residential area, 90% South Asian and Somali and people of that descent. What are the kids wearing? You don't need me to tell you, Johnny, what they're wearing. They ain't wearing Birmingham City shirts. Yes. And there has been none of that outreach or connection that there needs to be if the club is going to make that connection and breed a new generation of supporters. Just one more thing that gives me cause for enduring despair as far as the club is concerned. And this is is the club of Gil Merrick, the England international of Trevor Francis, uh, who's written his own book. You're very withering about football memoirs, but have you read Trevor's book? I I read Trevor's out out of loyalty, if you like. But I do find them withering. That's right. I, I do find them dull. They are very formulaic. They are not usually elegantly written in any way. So most sports biographies I find tedious beyond belief. It is changing. So I'm always very happy when someone says something nice about my book. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. Um, but I think Clinton Morrison will have a book in him, and I've seen him and I've heard him. I find the accent a bit off-putting. Um, just because I wish wish he'd pronounce and enunciate a bit more. But he is very dapper. Can't take his dapperness away. And he was a very good striker and ambassador for Birmingham. Um, The bewildering stupidity of the modern game. The actions of owners for whom football clubs are acquisitions or assets rather than parts of people's lives, love, histories and family traditions. Uh, We'll talk about Project Restart in the second half, but that's the bit about the Pozzo family. What do you say to those Watford fans who said, well, we've given up the Elton John stand as a break room uh, in in the pandemic and I had my vaccine um, because because I can. Because uh, I volunteer with the hospital radio station, so I got a call in January saying you're welcome to have a vaccine, and I had it in view of the rookery end. I looked to my left and saw the pitch because uh, they've set up shop uh, in the executive boxes at Vicarage Road, and you can have a tea or coffee in the restaurant that serves the corporate folk, usually on match day. So Watford are a community club. The Potsos recognise that they have. Uh, a big catchment area. You may know Watford fans yourself. But uh, let's see. I mean, th- th- just a, a, a brief biographical footnote, and I think you'd be interested in this. I taught in St Albans between 1980 and 1986 at a school where, and this Johnny is, is talking about different times, support was divided in a school in St Albans between, you finish the sentence, mate. Oh, well, David Pleat's Luton Town were doing well. Yeah, between, between Watford and Luton. Yeah. Those those are who the kids supported. Of course, there were affiliations, you know, from family, you know, for, for a lot of, for a lot yeah, of the London Oscars clubs. Yeah. But, but in somewhere like St Albans, which incidentally on your so-called Derby Day, he said sneeringly, but on your Derby Day, is a bit of a locus of activity, or used to be, between Luton and Watford fans. That's who they supported, Again, rather like the people that, you know, in the, in the area around Birmingham, you don't see Watford and Luton. You see some more Watford shirts now than you used to. 
Well done, you know, through gritted teeth, because, you know, I'm a proper football supporter, so any praise heaped on any other club has to be spat out. No, it's, it's but, jealousy, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, but so, so well done Watford for doing that, and I think it is noticeable, you know, so, so, so good on them. And, and I would like to see my club do the same. Well, quietly, I'd quite like Birmingham to win, because Karanka is a, a very good footballer. He might not be the most amazing manager, uh, he definitely seems to have been parachuted in by owners who think, oh, who's the most yeah. famous guy available? I know, the guy who played for Real Madrid. Look, we know yeah. Birmingham are a mess. It's a mess and it will stay a mess until new owners come in. What will it take for Birmingham fans to desert them? Well, of course, it, it's very difficult to disaggregate the whole notion of alienation from the club. And I know I'm getting a, a, a bit sort of metaphysical here. Go ahead. But, but, but in the pandemic, you know, we are not attached to the club at the moment. You know, so we can't sort of rail and spit and shout down at the ground or, or even sort of flood the local press with letters or whatever it happens to be. So I don't have a sense other than message boards and Twitter, uh, which tells me that we are desperately, desperately unhappy. Desert the club? I don't know. That whole business about how a club is in the very soul of you you know the old thing that I write about that you know about that every fan writes about that knows about the whole thing of I'm somewhere on the other side of the world I am involved in this I've got a work commitment I've got this or that wonder how the blues are getting on I've got to find out how the blues are getting <laughs> on that level of absolute saturation I don't know whether it's a thing of, of, of the modern day or not just not sure. So in terms of whether or not you desert it, whether or not you can cast it aside, I can't cast it aside, but whether or not others will, can't speak for that. It's an amazing squad looking at this. Lucas Djokovic, Scott Hogan, uh, Jeremy Bella, Harley Dean, Jonathan yeah. Lecco, Ivan Sanchez, Gary Gardner, who, like his brother Craig, is a Birmingham City fan, according to the book. Uh, and then the pair of Ivan Sunjic and Alan Halilovic. Uh, Halilovic yeah. seems to be the saviour at the moment. And, of course, the great George Friend, who knows Aitor Karanka astonishingly well. Um, yes. And yet you find yourself 21st and beneath you are Wickham. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Yes. 83 games in hand. Yes. And, so, first of all, the squad... It's a perfectly good squad. Um, there's some very good players in there. Any manager, you know, and I go back to the competence of Monk and Rowett, any manager would be able to get them to survive very, very happily in mid-table and then next season have a shot at the playoffs. I think that was the idea. What you have, and I really wouldn't want to wish anyone to spend two hours of their life to endure this as I have to do every so often, is a collection of unconnected individuals losing confidence by the moment with no set pattern of play and subject to the substitution, whims and selection of a manager who is clearly bewildered. And that's the playing side of it. Now, the playing side of it can only be the outward reflection of where a club finds itself as an entity at the moment. So what you're seeing played out on that overworn pitch at St Andrews where Coventry also play, what you're seeing there is the manifestation of a club in crisis. 
Do you think relegation will help or hinder? Uh, that's a really interesting one. I'm no financial expert. And those that sort of um, illuminate our thinking on the message board um, say it, it would be disastrous. Uh, and, and I have to believe that. There is nonetheless part of me that says, could we not go down, have a clear out, and then look at the model of some of the clubs who, who conduct themselves well, who build on a footballing basis. I mean, look, for example, I'd give you Barnsley at the moment, and I'm sorry if there was a note of deprecation in my voice there for a moment. They've built themselves up, community club, you know, smaller place, decent enough football. If we go down and do a Barnsley or a Blackburn, rebuilding so that there is a degree of competence that's all we're asking for at the moment, Johnny. Yeah. Not massive success. Competence is what we crave. Yeah, and we, <laughs> it was the same. Are. It was the same in Watford when Sean Dyche was promoted from the under 18s manager, where he was driving the bus to away games, uh, and he steadied Watford. And I think that's what made the Potsos spend 15 million pounds buying the club that is now an entity worth 10, 15 times that. And Birmingham are a side whose most successful international is the goalkeeper from the 50s, most famous for playing in those games against Hungary. But you've seen a lot of international players. You mentioned Robbie Savage. The big internationals, Tony Coton, Mick Harford, Noel Blake. Noel Blake played for Wales, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Their most notorious contribution, uh, it was certainly on the field of play, but I think I tell the story in the book that if you were to believe all the tales of those boys' nights on the town, they must have been on the RAS 24-7. Although I think there is little doubt that they were a fearsome lot and got themselves into a significant amount of trouble. Have um, you read TC's again, book, There to be Shot At? Tony Cope. Yeah, I, I, I have. And, 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 and funny enough, going back to what we were saying, that was one of the few that did actually keep me engaged, to be absolutely honest. Yeah. He's a, a true raconteur and also uh, in Watford's 11. Because we're talking about Birmingham in the first half, who are chronicled in this book, Hugging Strangers, the frequent lows and occasional highs of football fandom. Uh, there are several in the same game. Uh, I am left bewildered by the fact that Birmingham were 4-1 up at, against Swindon Town and it finished... <laughs> It finished Birmingham City 4, Swindon Town 6. Vital statistic that you left out there, Johnny, is that we were 4-1 up with 20 minutes to go. So again, you know that thing, and, and all supporters have this, that you're 3-0 up with 20 minutes to go. And I was talking to a QPR mate of mine the other day, that maybe just about relaxed with 20 minutes to go. Uh, one more and make me just make me sit back a little bit. So uh, that game in particular certainly has affected the psyche <laughs> of a lot of people my age but, because if you think you've seen, you know, when, when you think you've seen everything, that was really quite something. Glenn Hoddle was the architect of our demise that particular day as well, and he was playing as a sweeper. He was. Or a kind of, of like a Beckenbauer figure behind the defence starting the moves. Yes. 
I mean, he could be, as everyone knows, utterly imperious. And he certainly was that day. There was no question. Well, talking of imperious, your first um, game ever with your Uncle Lou was actually at the Hawthorns. And it was West Bromwich Albion 4, Tottenham Hotspur 4, and Jimmy Greaves was playing. He was. Um, And and that, of course, and I begin begin the book with that special day. That was the first day I went to football. And there were over 60 goals scored uh, in the Premier League that day. And as I say, the rumour was in those days that when you played on Boxing Day, the players clearly hadn't foregone any excesses the day before. And there are always wonderful stories and pictures of them, aren't there? You know, smoking cigarettes at half-time and, uh, you know... And it really, really was only a few years prior to that that they would be getting on the bus with with people going to the game themselves. So, uh, yes, that particular Boxing Day, my uncle Lou, God bless him, who is now also departed, and the story was this, that, you know, my, my mother was a widow, I lived in a house with two sisters who couldn't care less about football. I had declared myself a Birmingham City supporter. My uncle Lou, clearly thinking that I had to be saved, thought that he'd take me down the Albion. He did. I saw this astonishing four-all game. Greaves scores twice. Under lights, freezing cold, everything that you want from football in the winter. And he really must have thought to himself, there you go, job done. He's not going to go down the blues now after having seen that, which is exactly what I did. (laughs) And at 10 years old, I said to my mum, I loved that. I was great. She thought, oh, smashing, lovely. Not that you cared who I'd been to see. I said, I want to go and see the Blues now. And that was that. Uh, I made my way across the city, which I could do easily at 10 years old. Another whole book, if you like. I'd love to read that book, actually, because you do say that these were the days before the paedophile scare of the 70s. And there was that great line about kids were everywhere and unsupervised. Nobody paid them much attention. That, that, that was a fact of life. You had an independence and a confidence then that um, I think we've robbed a lot of children of now. I'm, I'm not sure that people won't look at the pandemic and think maybe we've got to give them a bit more freedom, but that's another aside. But yeah, I went to games on my own, started going on when I was 10. Absolutely astonishing by modern standards. But, yeah, got beat the first game. I went at home 4-1. Went a few days later. We were playing in the Cup against Port Vale. They were fourth division. We've got to win, haven't we? No, we got beat 2-1. So there you go. That was my introduction to football. Two miserable home defeats on freezing cold days with fog where you could barely see the football. Should have given up straight away. Of course, I didn't. Here I am, 56 (laughs) and odd years later. Hooked with two other... With two more generations of berries. Uh, I usually, when I am ticking off the 92, and I'm very grateful that I can speak to you because I get to tick off Birmingham, the biggest club in Birmingham. Uh, I've been to Birmingham City Centre because my friend Dan uh, puts on a gig night semi-regularly at the Kitchen Garden Cafe in Small. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know yep. that, yeah, yeah. Really lovely venue. Uh, and I had a few hours to kill, so I wandered around the building site... And it's it's a very modern city. They've obviously got the Commonwealth Games in a few years that they took up. And they're modernising the entire centre of Birmingham. Uh, isn't that sad that very few people are going to work in Birmingham? Um, 
And yet the crossrail is being built. Will you use the cross the HS2 to go up to Birmingham, to St Andrews? Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, th- th- there are mad speculative rumours that there'll be something around the relocation of St Andrews and HS2. I, I don't really know the detail of that, and I'm not sure it's entirely credible. I think, again, I think what's really, I suppose, upsetting for me is that you do come into Birmingham on the train and you see St Andrews on your left there. It, it, it looks kind of okay from a distance. But, yes, there's all this stuff coming to Birmingham. We have a club that bears the city's name, and yet it is not front and centre. It is not like Manchester City. It is not like the Liverpool Stadium. You, you drive into Liverpool and it says football stadia, you know, that doesn't happen in Brotherton, you know, it's, uh, uh, the club itself has lost any chance, unless there's a huge turnaround, of being at the centre of potential renovation. I mean, all the area around the ground, which was industrial wasteland up down Dickbirth and that kind of way, is now being gentrified to within an inch of its life. Whether the club can and will be part of that, will depend upon its ownership and general managership. Um, and I see no signs of that particular regeneration taking place. Gosh. Well, I will next time I'm in Birmingham, I'll visit the Metal Museum, the, the Museum of Hard Rock, because Birmingham invented a genre. Watford never yeah. invented a genre. It gave Elton John space to fulfil his dreams as a football fan. Yeah. But... Yeah, the, the history of Birmingham is such that it is a working-class city and it will never be as cosmopolitan as Manchester or London. Um, so, it, And it was a lovely city just to walk around uh, and there are That's things great. going on. As you say, music-wise, it's always been particularly vibrant. And as any Brummy will tell you, we've got more canals in Venice and more pre-Raphaelites than anywhere else in the world. Of course. Yeah. If only some of those pre-Raphaelites could show up at St Andrews. So what I tend to do is ask, in your lifetime, your Birmingham City eleven. Um, uh, so who are the players that must must play? Uh, uh, Trevor uh, Francis obviously picks himself, but yeah. who would who would play around Trevor Francis? It's very interesting. I did this actually for a local radio station quite recently, um, the, 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 a local podcast. And, of course, what I tried to do was, was, was get people from across the ages. So people that, that, that your readership, your, your listenership will know, although his light shone oh so briefly, alongside Trevor, I would, pay, I would play uh, Christophe Dugarry. If you had told me, not as a, a boy, but as a young man or whatever, that a World Cup winner would ever come and play at Birmingham. And to see that quality, albeit, as I say, shyly, very briefly, then we would definitely have him in there. There are one or two others who are perhaps a little bit unsung. And you have to look, of course, to the, the side that, that won the League Cup 10 years ago, you know, in our decade of, of, of demise. And there's a footballer in there, Barry Ferguson, not everyone's cup of tea. But if you ever played football, if you're a football fan, you have Barry Ferguson who wants the football, who holds the football, who can play a 10-yard pass as well as a 25-yard pass. 
Um, he is a shining light there, there is no doubt. He's got a book, and... Barry Ferguson, called Blue. Oh, has he? I didn't realise that. Yeah, no. the Football Book Club um, wanted to read it for ages and they did get round to it. Football Book Club, uh, hosted by James Buck. And you are welcome. To uh, right, well, I, I, I might have a look at that. Do. So just because you've elsewhere said your first level, where did you, was it a BRMB podcast or an Adrian Goldberg podcast? Uh, that one, uh, I've, done, I've done Adrian Goldberg and enjoyed it hugely as much as I'm enjoying this one. The other one was Tilt and Talk uh, Tilt and on Talk. Facebook. Okay, uh, well, I will, uh, I'll recommend that people go and listen. Can you just run very quickly through your first 11? In goal, I can't really see much further, and it was just on the edge of my watching was Gil Merrick. Then I would put in a guy called Stan Lynn, again, from the 50s and 60s, who was a full-back who scored lots of goals. Uh, for my centre-backs, I couldn't see any further than Kenny Cunningham, who was a, a, a great, great full-back, a great, great centre-back. Noel Blake has to go in there just because he's Noel Blake. Uh Martin Granger uh, was our left back throughout the time in the uh, in the Premier League. In the middle, I would put uh, Barry Ferguson. I'd also have to put in Howard Kendall. Not many people realise that he played for us for, for no. a good long time. The wonderful, wonderful, reliable, and exciting Stan Lazaridis. Apparently, a lovely man and a, a great, great footballer. And I think on the right-hand side, and I had to sort of juggle around for people here, but again, for people of a certain age, I've got to put Bertie Old, um, who was part of the Lisbon Lions, the Celtic team that won the European Cup. So a mixture of old and new there for you. Oh, that's special. Well, I will dig them up on YouTube, I think. Uh, But this, uh, there is no room for the lazy bastard himself, Nikola Zigic. Oh, Nikola Zigic. Uh, this, who, and you, everyone, uh, Watford fans and Andre Gray don't really work to these days, although he did score twice the other day. Um, in that balmy ecstatic moment, you say, when Zigic fluffed a shot which deflected over Brad Friedel, I turned to the stranger next to me, a bloke of about 40. Our eyes met in a moment of wonder and joy, mixed with mirth at the instant recognition that the lanky Serbian had had the last laugh on us. And reader, I hugged that stranger. If only hugging strangers were viable any time soon. Um, and we will, we will turn to that after this half-time break. <laughs> 